Hello, everybody. My name is Tim. I'm one of the guys that speaks here from time to time. I'm glad you all are here, and I hope by the time we're done, uh, I hope you'll be glad you're here too. To get started this morning, I want you to think with me about something. I'd like for you to think about your most difficult, saddest goodbye you've ever had to say. Now I realize not the most upbeat start to a message. Merry Christmas. But no, think about it. Think about the hardest, most difficult goodbye that you ever had to say. Maybe it was a family member who was going away or moving away, or maybe it was a friend or something. I'm pretty sure it was not saying goodbye to Jay Cutler as the starting quarterback of the Bears. I'm pretty sure it wasn't that. But just kind of lock it in your mind. The most difficult, the hardest goodbye you've ever had to say. Welcome to uh, another installment of our Christmas series called Scandalous. And the idea here is that this is a story that we know so well, we may not know it so well. That there are parts of the Christmas story that we've not heard, maybe ever. And uh, the part that I want to share with you, I mean, I mean, we've all heard the story, right? You know that part in Charlie Brown where Linus gets on stage and starts talking about angels and shepherds and, you know, and baby in a manger. We, we think we know this story. But the part I want to share with you is, about, is a part that I, I never heard growing up around church. And uh, I hadn't heard it till just not, not too long ago in my life. And, it, and it, it really makes Christmas different for me. And I hope it will. For, for, for you too. See, to understand the Christmas story, you got to understand its backstory. Because the backstory to the Christmas story is really a love story. Now, as soon as I say love story, you think you go, oh, I know this, Mary and Joseph. And I can understand why you would think Mary and Joseph when I say love story, because we hear love story in our culture and we think romantic love. You know, we think of things like, you know, uh, Romeo and Juliet. We think of uh, Jack and Rose. We think of the greatest love story of all time, you know, Joni and Chachi, you know. (laughs) We hear love story and we think romantic love. But think about it. There are some other stories that are stories of just incredibly deep devotion and loyalty and closeness and love that really aren't romantic, romantic love kind of stories at all. Anybody in the house consider themselves like a, like a real movie buff? Any, any, any real film? Okay. What, what's, sir, I'll put you on the spot. So what, what's considered the greatest, uh, the greatest um, film of all time in some people's opinion? Planet of the Apes. Are there any film buffs in the house this morning who really... What's really funny is I was just watching that last night. No lie, no lie. Now, many film critics consider this the greatest, uh, the greatest movie of all time. What is it? Godfather. You know, Al Pacino, Marlon Brando. It's really the story at heart of a father and a son. Some of the greatest love stories aren't romantic love at all. They're father and son stories. Here's another movie that wasn't 
nearly as popular, but I still liked it a lot. How many remember uh, A River Runs Through It? How many remember that movie? You know, Tom Skerritt plays the father, and he has the one son that's played by an actor whose name I can't remember, but, but the other son is played by, by who, who's the other son? Yeah, a young Brad Pitt. Steady, ladies, steady. And, uh, but it's really, if you know the story of River Runs Through, you know that it's the story of a father's love for his son. And then, of course, there is the most epic father-son love story of all time. I mean, seriously, the depth and, and, and the depth and the gravity, I know, thank you. I'm here all weekend. The, uh, the, the depth and the gravity of that is just is profound. See, here's where I'm going with this. To really understand Christmas, y'all, we've got to understand that Christmas is a love story, but not love in the sense of romantic love, but of love between a father and a son. And to get it, to really get it, we got to uh, dive pretty deep into some pretty uh, serious theological waters. But don't worry, we won't, we won't go there very long. But let's all kind of put, put on our theological scuba gear here together. And here we go. Here, here, here's the, the story of the love story. See, see, the Bible tells us before there was anything, if we can imagine that, before there was anything, there was a father and there was a son. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the one who is called the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now think about it. How could you be both with God and be God? I told you it's, it's kind of deep, right? But then you go on in John 1 and it clarifies exactly who this one who is the Word is. Look what it says. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christmas. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, somebody say it for me, son. So this word who was with God and who yet somehow was also God at the same time, there's two, but, there's, but they're one, but they're one, but they're two, uh, makes your head hurt a little bit, is this father and this son and Jesus during his life, speaks of this. He says to the Father, he says, look what he says, he says, you love me before the creation of the world. Now think about that. When it says world there, y'all, it doesn't mean like, you know, the planet Earth. The word world there in the original language means everything that is. The, world, the word there for world literally means universe. You loved me before there was a universe. And it's a sun Speaking to a father. And so here's the backstory. Before there was anything, there always was, there always has been, there always will be this bond, this deep closeness of, 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 of loyalty and intimacy and warmth and love. Between a father and a son. And that bond between that father and that son is, is a deeper, more intense thing than any of us have ever known in all of our lives. But we do get glimpses. That's why I asked you to think of the most difficult goodbye you've had to say. I think that was a glimpse of this kind of love. For, for me, it was the beginning of my oldest son's 
first year of college. It was August of 2009. He was heading off to school. We packed up the car with all his stuff and, uh, and set out for California. He was going to do his undergrad in, in Santa Barbara. And uh, so we loaded up the, the Ford Taurus with the side mirror that was held on with duct tape because I clipped it off on the drive through at the McDonald's. And uh, it came off while we were on the way out. But we, we, man, we had a great time going out. There was a long trip. You're driving all the way out there. We, 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 we ate just incredible amounts of ridiculously bad junk food at all hours of the, of the day and night and drive throughs And we saw incredible sights like the world's largest ball of twine and stuff like that. And then, but as we got closer and closer to California, this, this lump started to form in my throat. Because I knew what was coming. I knew I was going to have to drive on that college campus, you know, do the whole orientation, new student, new parent thing, then uh, help, help my son uh, put all his stuff out of the car and into his dorm room, and then I was going to have to drop him off, and I was going to have to say. And those of you who know me know some important backstory for me is uh, my, my son's mom left when he was six. And uh, so I was a single dad from the time my son was six until, uh, well, after he started college. And, and uh, I know that lots of dads say this, but me and him were extra tight. And uh, this was especially, that lump in my throat was especially significant because I knew he wasn't just going away f- for college because he made it very clear he was trying to get as geographically far from that divorce as he could. And he hoped that I would understand that he needed to do that. And he hoped I would understand that he'd not be coming home much because he wasn't just going to college in California. He made it clear to me he was moving to California, that he would stay out there summers and, and uh, that I'd see him at Christmas uh, unless I came out there. And that was about it. And so as I'm getting closer to California, I knew I was going to have to uh, drop off my boy and say, and, and, and on the way out there, we, man, we talked, lots of time, obviously, in the car, we talked about all sorts of things, but one thing we did not talk about, we did not talk about how hard it was going to be to say, I, I mean, I was thinking about it, I, I don't know, I, I actually haven't asked him, uh, I don't know if he was thinking about it or not. I mean, he was 18 at the time, and odds are he was thinking, you know, I'm thinking all this father-son stuff, and he's thinking, I'm starting college in California. You know, there's going to be more girls than I've ever seen in my life. His thoughts are probably going something like, wish they all could be California girls. That's what I think he was thinking. But I'm thinking, man, I, man I'm going to have to hug this boy and say, and so we got to school, got to his college, and we did all that parent-student orientation stuff. And then we put all the stuff in his dorm room, and then it was time. And man, when that time came, it, that lump in my throat felt like it was about a 16-pound bowling ball. And then standing there in the parking lot of, of, of his dorm, I'll never forget it. Uh, I, I, I wrapped my arms around him, and as I hugged him for the uh, last time before he moved away, I was thinking, you know, how long do I hold on to him for how long is this goodbye supposed to last I mean I didn't want to make him look like 
he was the freshman with the dweebiest, clingingest weirdo dad in the whole school. So I, so I held him tight for about a three count. And then uh, said goodbye. Got my car, drove away. Uh, didn't cry. Till about 100 yards off campus. <laughs> and I cried like a proverbial baby. See, something I was never told much, actually ever, growing up around church, is I was never told that Christmas is the love story, and it's a love story of a, of a father and a son, because for Christmas to happen, just see if this makes sense, for Christmas to happen, a father and a son had to say goodbye. I mean, stick with me. For Christmas to happen, a father and a son had to say goodbye. Galatians 4.4 4 talks about Christmas this way. And it says, when the fullness of time came, the father sent forth his son, born of a woman. See, before Mary, the woman could say hello to her, her newborn baby boy for the first time, his, his father and he had to say goodbye. The Bible puts it this way in the book of Philippians. Speaking of Jesus, it says that to become human being, he was God in the flesh, but to become human being, he emptied himself. And that Jesus emptied himself to somehow become a human being, that he emptied himself without giving up his godness is again too much for our brains to really comprehend. But at least part of what that emptying of himself means is, is, is that he had to give up some of the closeness that he had with his father. He didn't give up his oneness or the love, but he had to give up some of that closeness. He, he, he had to say goodbye. And see, like with, with my son, you know, I can tell the story and, you know, you know, get all choked up about it and you guys can go, oh, come on. Come on, preacher boy. I mean, it's like you, you, got, you, can, you got a cell phone. You can call him. You know, you can, you can, you can text and, Email and Skype and FaceTime and, and all of that. And, you know, and Southwest flies pretty cheap from Chicago to L.A. And you, you come, you're right. But it wasn't the same. Because I didn't get to see his face every day anymore. And I couldn't go out in the front yard and kick around the soccer ball anymore. We, we weren't less close but we had to give up some of the closeness for him to do what he had to do and this is what you got to understand we got to get this this scandalous thing about Christmas is for Jesus to become a human being the son had to leave the father's side man that that goodbye had to be just painful beyond comprehension I mean Have you ever been told that Christmas means that for the love of you, the son left the father's side and said the most painful goodbye that's ever been said? I mean, I I know, I know you've heard before that God loves you and I know that you've heard before that Jesus died for you. But do you know what it costs the father and the son for Jesus to even be born in the first place. 
I listen to a lot of national public radio as I commute to work. And, and, I, and, and not too long ago, I heard the story of uh, Vitold Poletsky. And if the name Vitold Poletsky mean, doesn't mean anything to you, that would make sense. Because for many years, his story was kept secret. His story was suppressed for many, many years. Uh, here's what happened. is uh, Back when the Nazis invaded Poland, World War II, obviously... Um, Poletsky was a member of the Polish resistance. And he did this, in, this really strange thing. What Poletsky did is he volunteered to be arrested by the Nazis. He intentionally got caught. And here's why he did it. He knew, he, he, he knew that if he got caught, he would be imprisoned in a particular place. Because, he, see, he lived near a place that you might have heard of. And it's one of the most awful names in the history of the world. He lived near a place called Auschwitz. But see, before this, the Nazis were saying that Auschwitz was just a POW camp. That's, it's just a, PO, just a, place, a holding place for prisoners of war. But there were rumors. There were rumors that something else was going on in Auschwitz. And, 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 and the world needed to know if that was true. And Poletsky knew that if he got arrested, he would be sent to Auschwitz. And so he did, and he was, and for two and a half years he lived and suffered among the imprisoned Jews and Poles and Russians living in the horrors of Auschwitz. And he found out the truth that thousands and thousands of innocent civilians were being brutalized and then executed in the gas chambers and that their bodies were being disposed of in the ovens. And, and it was Vitold Poletsky that smuggled out the gruesome truth about what was going on inside Auschwitz. And he actually did it in a cool way. He, one of his jobs in the camp was, he, was he, he, he would take care of the officer's laundry and he would smuggle out the, the truth and written messages in their dirty laundry to the town nearby. And it was Vitold Poletsky who let the world know what was going on in Auschwitz. And for that word to get out, he had to go in. And and the NPR story said this, I quote, Having a beautiful wife and two kids he loved dearly, he decided to leave them behind and go to Auschwitz. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, man, what must it have been like? What, what, What must that goodbye have been like? I mean, what do you say? And, and forgive me for being a little bit dramatic um, here, but picture this, the, the scenario. Where are you going, Daddy? Well, honey, I'm, I'm going to a place called Auschwitz. What's, what's Auschwitz, Daddy? Well, I can't go into it, but You'll find out when you're older, I think. Do you have to go, Daddy? Well, it's, it's complicated. But I'm going of my own free will. I mean, come on. Can you imagine that goodbye? I ain't making this up. This, this, this actually happened. Friends, listen now. As, as wonderful as life can be, I'm not cynical about life. All right? But as wonderful as life can be, everybody here knows we live in a messed up world. Everybody here knows that, we, that ours is a sin-sick, suffering-riddled planet. Yeah, with a lot of wonderful things, but just 
incredible amounts of suffering and sorrow and pain. And, 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 and though nobody here or anywhere in this life really knows what heaven's like, there is this description of what heaven's like in Revelation 21.4. This is the briefest, best description of heaven in all the Bible. It says, in heaven there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. And for Christmas to happen, the son had to leave the father's side in heaven for the, in relative terms, the Auschwitz of earth. And again, this is a sidebar. I, I, I don't know most of you all, but I know people are going through stuff. And if you're not going through stuff right now, I mean, if life is just, you know, clicking on all cylinders, everything's just great, I'm fine with that. And I'm truly happy for you. But it's not true of everybody. Maybe you're going through a chronic illness. Maybe you're going through a terminal illness. Maybe it's not your physical body that's broken. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's depression. I, I ain't going to lie to you. I've been treated for clinical depressions a number of times in my life. And uh, one of the only ways that I make it through is that description of heaven that says, because I'm loved as I am and not as I should be, that there's a place for me where there's no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain. And no more death. And no matter what I'm going through, it's not forever. And that keeps me going. Sometimes it's the only thing that keeps me going. And I know this time of year is hard, but I just want to say to you as a sidebar here, if you are in Christ, no, what you're going through will not be forever. So you hold on. You hold on. Because there is one who loves you and who will never give up on you and who has a place for you where there is no more pain and no more mourning and no more crying and no more death. And see, that's the place that Jesus left to live amongst us. At the end of that NPR story about Vito Poletsky, they were talking about how just incomprehensible it was that this guy, this family man with small children, would volunteer to go to a death camp. And then the, the person who had studied his life most closely um, explained it this way, and I quote, this is what he said about why Poletsky did it. I quote, human beings were the most precious thing for him, especially those who were oppressed. He would do anything to liberate them, to help them. And he says that's why he said goodbye to his wife and his kids. Because human beings, especially the oppressed, were so dear to him. Friends, I tell you that story because roughly 70 years ago, a man said goodbye to his wife and kids and went to the horrors of Auschwitz. And... Roughly 2,000 years ago, a son left the father's side to go to an Auschwitz of, of a different kind. 
I mean, you know, we've all heard that part of the Christmas story, you know, where the wise men show up. And, and uh, you've got to love the wise men. I guess they're the reason we all get presents this time of year. You've got to love wise men. You know, they show up with presents for Jesus, you know, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Or as one little boy in Sunday school said, gold, frankenstein and myrrh. <laughs> and you maybe heard this before. Gold is a gift for someone who's a king. Frankincense is, was a, a, an incense that was used in worship, so it was a gift for one who is God. And myrrh was this plant extract that was used for preparing bodies for burial. Myrrh was a gift for somebody who was born to die. So here it is. Ready? Here's the love story that is Christmas. When the father and the son said their goodbye so the very first Christmas could happen, they not only knew that his birth as a baby in a manger would cost them some of the closeness that they'd enjoyed since the, before the world began. They also knew that they would not see each other face to face again until Jesus had gone through what can't be described as anything other than a gruesome, awful, torturous death. And please don't, please don't cop out on this and go, well, yeah... But that, but you know, but God's God, and you know, and 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 you know, and Jesus is going to rise again, and everything's going to be okay. Well, sure. But what father would ever choose to go through that? What son would ever choose to go through that? And see, I, I think we get the Christmas thing a little. A little mixed up and I think we get the church thing a little mixed up I think we think that Christmas is when you're supposed to go to church and feel all warm and fuzzy because baby Jesus is born and I realize I've kind of maybe <laughs> uh, gone a different direction today with that but then we think so that's what you do at Christmas you go feel warm and fuzzy at church and then when Easter comes you're supposed to go to church and feel real sorry for your sins so Christmas is warm and fuzzy Easter is really sorry, and that's the way it's supposed to, it's supposed to be. And see, I, I don't think we get it that these two are connected. That, 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 that Bethlehem, that the road to Bethlehem leads inevitably to the cross. And, 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 and we got to know this about Christmas. Jesus' suffering didn't start on the cross. It, it started when he had to leave his father's side. And do you know it? Do, do you know that for the love of you, he went from the wonders of heaven to the Auschwitz of earth? For the love of us, the one who was loved and loved in return more than any of us have ever known, said goodbye. See, Christmas is a love story. It's a story of a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that, that whoever would believe in him, and please don't misunderstand that word believe. Biblically, the word believe does not mean what you happen to hold to be true in your brain spiritually. No, believe means that which you have committed your life ultimately to. That's what it means. That those who would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And um, though it's impossible, I think, humanly for any of us to comprehend with our brains 
the whole father-son thing, how they could be two and yet one and one and yet two. But that's not what matters most. What matters most, at least for today, is that we know that Christmas means that a father and a son both so loved a a sin-sick, lost-in-darkness, messed-up death camp of a world that they chose willingly to say the most difficult goodbye that's ever been said. And it was said for the love of us, And that Christmas story, I need to know like I know my own name. Do you know it? I don't mean do you know it. I mean do do you know it? Has Christmas yet become to you more than a season of generic goodwill and warm feelings and and family times? That's all well and good. But this Christmas, this Christmas, may Christmas be the love story. That overwhelms you, that, that astounds you, that amazes you, that perhaps even scandalizes you. May, may every Christmas tree and Christmas candle and Christmas light and Christmas card and Christmas cookie and Christmas present, may every manger scene you see between now and Thursday remind you of that goodbye. That was said for us. Because that's where the real joy comes from. That's where the real joy to my world comes from. And knowing I'm loved like that. May you and may I, may we all know that. This Christmas. Let's pray. God, help us. It's hard. I don't know that I'm able to get this like I need to get this. But I thank you. I thank you that you were willing to say that goodbye for me. And I thank you that you stick with me when I give you plenty of reasons not to. And I thank you that you love me and that you forgive me. And I pray that somebody within the sound of my voice who needs to know it would know it. And we thank you. We thank you for your love. Especially at Christmas. In your name, Jesus. Amen. See, I don't don't know about you, but if I was like the eternal son of God, if I was God come in the flesh, I would come, I would would come to earth like with, with it. Just in a blaze of glory. I would, there would be razzle. There would be dazzle. There, I would make sure that everybody, that everybody knew all at once. I would like just. Yeah. He, he, chose, he chose another way. <laughs>